hey, grace and peace to you has become our common greeting together. And it's, um, I would like to say it's good to see you, but I can't. Uh, I'm assuming you're watching and our prayers are with you. Today, we're going to be out of Matthew 20, uh, 20 through 28. Uh, if you need to find that uh, in your in your Bible or your device that you have, uh, you can take time to look at that. We're going to walk through those those verses together. And before we begin, let's have a time of prayer together. Father, I thank you for the call you've given me on my life, and I pray that you help me to speak uh, so plainly that a child would understand me. I pray also for words of knowledge, Lord, that uh, I not make up, but that come from you. I trust your I trust your foreknowledge, your providence, your sovereignty as to who is watching and when they're watching. In any word of knowledge you give to me, to speak to a person, Lord, no matter when they're watching or listening or where, uh, that it would touch their life to them. And uh, then, Lord, I, I, I just trust that you'll give that to me. And if you do, I, I will surrender to it. And then, Lord, remind me that of um, everybody watching today and listening, <clears throat> I'm the one under the greatest judgment because I'm a teacher of your word. And I accept my place in rightly dividing it. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray, his name that I preach. Amen. We're in a series called In His Presence, and it really becomes a question to ask uh, because there seems to be a struggle between uh, how we position ourselves um, in leadership, titles, um, our independence from the Lord, uh, versus being in his presence. Um, it, it is uh, hugely important that you realize in his presence is always going to be the best choice. It's not the only choice, but it's the best choice. Moses, and I've used this verse over and over just in my own leadership, uh, just said, Lord, you know, what you've called me to and where you have called me to, I don't want to go from here to there without your presence uh, with me. So as I try to encourage you as a pastor from a distance, uh, I've, I'm continually going, take your fears, your doubts, and your worries, take your praise and your thanks and your worship and get in his presence. Uh, he's promised to be with us, and he is, and he will always do that. And uh, this is just another call to you uh, about choosing his presence over any positioning of our lives today. So I want to give you the setting that we have today. The setting is that uh, the disciples are uh, still figuring out what their position is uh, in the kingdom. And uh, they are probably thinking one way and Jesus is teaching another. And that seems to be a common thread with Jesus and disciples, no different than it is with Jesus and us. So he's, he's continually teaching them about being in his presence, living in his kingdom, and what that means. So the setting we have today is we have a mom that's going to get into the scene in here in just a moment in verse 20. So if you want to go ahead and go there, you can. <clears throat> but I, I, want to, I want to give you a, a, a background setting. Jesus has gone through the predictions of his death and his suffering, and he's constantly teaching his disciples that in the kingdom there's no pride, there's no self-seeking. It's a continual theme through the life of discipling people to live in the kingdom. And then in verse 20, I'm going to read it to you. 
we begin our setting uh, with today's message. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons approached him with her sons, and she knelt down to ask him something. The question is still going on, who is the greatest? That question is still, is still echoing. Who is the greatest? And uh, here in the picture, the mom gets involved. Hey, let's just be honest. We know when the mom gets involved, it's getting serious, right? Absolutely serious. I, I, I heard a story in a, in a college classroom where uh, a child got their grade back on a paper they had written, and uh, it was uh, not the grade that was desired, and they were upset got their cell phone out in the classroom, called their mom, and the mom demanded to speak to the professor right in the classroom. When, when the mom gets involved, um, we know that this is getting serious. I want, you to, I want you to see what's going on here. She's asking for the sons of Zebedee. That's James and John. She's asking for them. She's representing them. And I want you to know something about the sons of Zebedee. They are also called... Uh, the sons of thunder, and we're going to find out uh, about them and, and their personality. They're very aggressive. Uh, James and John were very aggressive, <clears throat> colorful, amazing characteristics and 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 personalities. They uh, in Luke nine fifty four, there was a time where Jesus was not welcomed by a certain group of people, and it made James and John mad. And they said, uh, hey, Lord, <clears throat> do you want us to call down fire on these people and just consume them? Uh, just that statement alone uh, can tell you why they are nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. <clears throat> and uh, it gives their, their, their aggressive personality. Uh, but here's what I find something that's strange. If they are the Sons of Thunder um, and they are this aggressive, uh, then I have to ask the question, why is the mom leading this? But nonetheless, uh, she, she is. It seems kind of strange for people to be with their personality to have the mom leading that, but she is. <clears throat> on, on, in her defense, she approaches Jesus in a very respectful way, a very reverent way. She kneels, and she, she, gets, she makes a request, and the request is not... The request, the request is she's asking for, for the blessing of Jesus to ask further. And then in verse 21, uh, Jesus says, uh, what do you want? He asked her, what do you want? Her response is promise, she said to him, that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. Um, give me assurance that you're going to place my boys in the place where they need to be. Don't forget, we're still echoing the question, who is the greatest? Besides being the ruler of a kingdom, the right and the left of the ruler are the two highest positions that you can gain, the places of high honor. <clears throat> and the disciples could be thinking that Jesus is setting up a still a literal kingdom. Even his march into Jerusalem could represent that he's setting up a literal kingdom. And then they're going into debate and question as to where, where are we going to be in this new kingdom? When he sets it up, uh, who's, who's going to be on the right? Who's going to be on the left? So there is the question of position 
Overpresence. Let me tell you, that question doesn't, is not removed today. It, it's still here with us. Listen, I, I'm a, I am a preacher's kid, and my son's third generation pastor, and we're grateful for Logan doing what he's doing and, and taking care of all the filming. He's just been an absolute trooper. And I'm thankful for Miss Vanessa Arnold over my right shoulder. And, uh, and so Vanessa and I are teaming up on you. We're both preacher's kids. Uh, I, I have seen people come into a church and join a church in its membership and have nothing on their mind. They don't have kingdom on their mind. They have, where am I going to be placed in the leadership in this church? It, it was nothing more than position. It had nothing to do with the presence of God. I, I've seen people just jockey for positions over what am I going to lead? I led where I was. Where am I going to lead here? We're going to get into those questions in just a moment and, and even break that down here in a second uh, as what it means to be a part of a church. But the, the truth is the question of positioning over presence is still echoing. A lot of people want the high places. They want to choose the high places. And remember, the constant theme of teaching in the kingdom of, of, of Jesus is there's no pride and there's no self-seeking whatsoever. He's trying to get that across to them. So in verse 22, it said, but Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am able to drink? We are able is their response. They said to him, we are able. Uh, Jesus masterfully moves from the mom to the disciples. Now the mom asked the question, but Jesus gives the answer uh, and the challenge to the disciples. He says, you don't, you don't know what you're asking. Um, can you drink from this cup? And let's talk about the cup for a moment. Old and New Testament, the cup represents suffering. It represents uh, the tough times of life. It's the wrath of God, um, the use of wine. And, and I'm just assuming we all know what it tastes like. Uh, and I, I know there's different kinds of wine, but in its origin and commonality, it was bitter. And there's a lot of belief that that's why <clears throat> wine was used even as an example of, of communion is because wine has a, a bitter, bitter taste to it. And the picture of the cup is suffering, the wrath of God, and the bitter part of life. In Matthew 26, 39, Jesus prays before the cross, may this cup pass from me. Well, what does the cup mean? It means the suffering. It means the wrath of God. It means the bitter part of life. For me and you, uh, we're going through a cup season. We're going through a cup season. It is a, a time of, it's tough, there are tough times. Um, there's loss of job, bankruptcies, uh, eco economy opening back up. What are we going to do? What are things going to look like? This cup today is a season that we're now in, and we don't ask for it. I don't know any of us that ask for a season of the suffering that is represented with the cup. It, it is, the, the cup represents the enduring stages that we endure, and we're, we're there. Guys, we are there right now. We're in a time of suffering. It's a tough time. We're in a time 
that we didn't ask for. None of us asked for this situation. And we're, we're trying to find out how to maneuver and navigate through it, which is the reason we're going into the sermon series in his presence. If you're going to get through this thing, it's not going to be the position you hold, I promise you, uh, because the position has no relationship with you. It's going to be in his presence because he is carrying out his promise that he is with you and his presence is going to navigate you through this season of suffering, tough times, enduring difficulty. This is our cup. And his presence is going to be able to lead you through that. Don't forget that when Jesus prayed that prayer, he's in the presence of the Father. Even though he's talking about a season of suffering, he's in the presence of the Father. And uh, we're, we're going to go there in just a moment to, to, to handle that a little deeper. So they answer this. They answer, we can. We are able to drink from the cup uh, that uh, we're able to do this. Uh, don't forget that their answer doesn't surprise me. They are the sons of thunder. They have aggressive personalities. Uh, they, they seem to be very bold, even in, uh, in loud, obviously because of the nickname, Sons of Thunder. And it doesn't surprise me that they are saying, we can do this. We can, we can drink from this cup. And then in verse 23, Jesus, he told them, you will indeed drink my cup. But to sit at my right and my left is not mine to give. Instead, it belongs to those for whom has been prepared by the Father. Um, he says, you will drink from the cup. And I, I think I know why Jesus is saying this, um, that it is uh, uh, in Matthew 26, 56, there is a time of betrayal with Jesus and Judas. Uh, there's, a, there's that season of betrayal uh, during the arrest of our Lord. And then we know that uh, it says in those verses there that the, as it is going to be fulfilled prophetically, it said the disciples, they, they left him. They fled. They deserted him. They, they ran away. Uh, I want to go a little bit more. It, it would be past to us, but I want to go into their future for just a moment. I'm able to read about it historically, but it is, it is still their future at this point. I want you to know there was a change that happened to James and John. Something happened to them. <clears throat> They're growing in their faith in the Lord. Uh, are they acting wrongly here? They are. We'll talk about that in a moment. Jesus will even say that they are. <clears throat> but the point is, uh, James becomes the very first martyr uh, in, in, in following our Lord he, of the disciples. He becomes the very first martyr. He's martyred because he would not he, he would not relinquish that Jesus is Lord. John, he became known as the apostle of love. John was exiled, and we see a lot of his writings in the New Testament. I, I know they're going through a, a, a learning time and even a discipling time with Jesus right now. But I want to I want to go into their future. To us, it's their it's 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 history. It's their past, but it's their future of what they become. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a, in a minute as well. Um, Paul, Paul wrote that I want to know the Lord and the power is resurrection. And we're all for that. We, we like the power. We like the power bit. 
but nobody signs up for the second one uh, in the fellowship of his suffering. Um, it, that's even true with us today, which even emphasizing it needs to be more about his presence. Notice that Paul uses the word fellowship of suffering, meaning that Christ is there with you. He is there with you. In this season that we're in, Christ is with you. Uh, it, more than position, more than worry and doubt, more than the fears of all that could happen. I'm convinced some of you are doing something right now or were doing something, and you won't be doing the same thing on the other side of this. I'm absolutely convinced of that. I mean, your hope, some of you, your careers are absolutely going to change, and it's going to be God's way of navigating you. Uh, he's going to navigate us, but position is not going to get it done. <clears throat> it is being in his presence that will. <clears throat> so Jesus says, uh, uh, yes, you will drink from my cup to the disciples because he's able to know uh, the suffering that they're going to go through in the future. But the positioning of right and left, he says, is not mine. I don't pick it. That belongs to the Father and I believe it's beautiful the way Jesus uses this in verse 23. He refers to him as my father, the intimate, trusting relationship of a dad. Now, I'm going to bring it to our season, our cup season, our suffering, tough time season, and ask you, do you trust the father? Do you trust him? Do you trust him that he's going to navigate you through these difficult times? Do you trust him uh, this time of suffering and difficulty and this big, huge question mark on what things are going to be like in the future. Do you trust him uh, for what he's going to do and how he's going to lead us on the other side and who we are and what we're going to become on the other side of them? Jesus is doing this. And I love the way he doesn't just talk about the father. He gives the personal pronoun of he is my father. And I pray during this season it, in the example of Jesus, that when you're in the presence of the Father, that he's just not the Father, he is my Father. I pray that you take that away from verse 23. And then in verse 24, it said, uh, when the ten disciples heard this, they became indignant, they became mad with the two brothers. Uh, so here we're talking about positioning again. Uh, they're hearing the other two are having this little secret meeting with the Lord and mom involved, right? And then they, uh, they get a little mad and they, they, come, they come here and they're upset about it. And uh, maybe, they're, uh, maybe they're wanting to jockey for the same position as James and John. Or maybe they're just jealous. Maybe they're going, well, why didn't my mom get involved, you know? Maybe why didn't that happen? It's not fair that their mom got involved. And there's a question of even her relationship to Jesus as far as being kinfolk. Um, and maybe she's got the inside track of getting James and John uh, placed to where they need to be. Uh, so it's not fair. Maybe they're feeling stepped on or betrayed by the two because they're not being included. Uh, they're being outcast from that. Uh, I want to, uh, I, I know we're going, man, the disciples are jacked up here. I know we're saying that, and they are. But I want to remind you later of the switch that happens. Um, it's the transfer that can happen to all of us. They, uh, they become known, most of them become known as the ones who are turning the world upside down. Uh, I, it, we're going to get into their future, which is, is history to us, but it's their future. 
they are going to one day be known as the ones who are turning the world upside down. And so uh, the verse 25, but Jesus called them over and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them and the men of high position exercise power over them. Uh, Jesus doesn't approve of what the two are doing or the 10 are doing. He doesn't approve over the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, and, and mom coming. He doesn't approve of that. But he doesn't approve over the 10 who are getting mad. In fact, he just says, come here. And, and come here means there's going to be a discipling moment. <clears throat> He's going to teach them to choose last, which is what he means in teaching the kingdom. No pride, no self-seeking. Uh, Romans, think, think of others higher than you think of yourself. If you're at the head table and there's no room for anybody else to sit and somebody comes in, they don't have a chair, get up from your, ta- get up from your chair at the table and give them your seat. It, it just becomes a picture of choosing last. And when Jesus teaches here in verse 25, he's talking about rulers and Gentiles are just mainly throwing everybody in the bunch, but worldly. Let's just use the word worldly rulers here, and that'll get the point across to you. And he teaches that they, uh, they, they are people of high position, and they exercise their power over people. Give you three things here about worldly rulers. When I say worldly rulers, I don't mean geography. I don't mean over nations and, and, and borders. When I say worldly, I mean the philosophy of what a worldly ruler is and looks like. Number one, worldly rulers, they overpower and they overthrow. There are the people who are up here, and then there are the people who are down here. And they're associated with the people who are up here. Number two, worldly rulers, they look for the highest spots so they can be in control and they can have authority over others. And then number three, worldly rulers misuse power. They use it wrongly. And again, we're not talking about geographical boundaries or, uh, or, or nations. I'm talking about the philosophy of a worldly ruler. And that's what Jesus is telling them. And basically, he's saying, you all are acting like this. You are acting like the Gentile rulers, which he means worldly rulers. You're beginning to act like them in verses 26 and 27. Look what he says. He said, it it must not be like that among you. On On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave. Um... This can't be used, what Jesus is saying. I can't believe you're doing this. Who do you think you are? This is not who you are. In his kingdom, in the kingdom of our Lord, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, uh, we choose the low place. I always just bring it last place. It becomes a picture of humility. The, the servant and the slave was the lowest, was the lowest place you could go uh, in the hierarchy. It's the lowest place you could go. You're constantly serving. Uh, There's no credit and there are no rewards. Zero. You do what you do because that's just your caste system. That's just where you're going to be. And he says, you have to become that. You can't be like the Gentile rulers or the worldly 
rulers. You can't do that. You're going to have to choose last, choose low, be humble, uh, be the servant. Uh, I want you to know that Jesus, he becomes the humble, the humble servant in Philippians 2. Uh, he becomes man. You know, he steps out of the out of out, out of the attending of the attending part of heaven as heaven attended to him. He comes to be man. Talk about low places. He's born in a manger, basically a cave, not a palace. Uh, where's the first announcement of his birth? It certainly wasn't to royalty. It was to shepherds. Uh, Jesus says, foxes have dens and birds of the air have nests, but the, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He has no home. Uh, he's taken and he dies on a shameful cross. He's even buried in a borrowed tomb. Don't forget that. He's buried, yet he's king of all of it. All authority is his. Everything was made through him and everything was made for him. And yet he humbled himself and became us. And it becomes a picture of who he is and what he does. L listen, I want to say this to you. You're going to ask the question, and it may be already, uh, already sounding in your head. Are, are, there, are there leaders in the Christian mission of the church? Absolutely. But, you know, if, if you're not careful, you'll, everything you read is everybody's supposed to be a leader, and not everybody can be leaders. Uh, but everybody can sometimes jockey for positions of leaders. Yes, but not everyone is going to be that. Listen, the Father does call some Christians to higher places, there's no doubt about that. Jesus says that's up to the Father. But if they're going, if they are going to serve in high places, there, there is a characteristic that has to be among all of them. And it's not being a Gentile ruler. It is be humble, be lowly, be hospitable, and be a servant. If any of you all read anything in Christendom about church and leading and the mission of Jesus and the church and leading, it's referred to as servant leadership. It's often referred to as servant leadership. And we're going to get that in verse 28. Uh, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, as a ransom for many. Um, he's telling them in these last few verses Everything he's telling them is opposite of what the disciples wanted. Um, to the low part, just serve people. N no, n no credit, no rewards. Just serve people. Uh, the Father is watching. Does he lead some, some in, in leadership in Christendom? Yeah, he does. He play, but they still live under the characteristic of what a kingdom leader looks like versus a Gentile ruler looks like that happens all the time. So he gave his life and he gave his life with a purpose. And the purpose is it's a ransom for many. And that last verse, let's talk about the word ransom for just a moment. It is a, it is a term that is used uh, in war. It has the picture of battle and it has the picture of people being prisoners of war, POWs. And it says that one side is willing to pay the dollars, the money, for a POW or POWs to be free of captivity. Um, guys, we're in a war. And the war is sin absolutely wants to wrap you up. 
You got to understand that. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse one says it, it so easily entangles you. I mean, it's, it's wanting to wrap you up. It holds you captive in bondage. And it said that Jesus came and he paid the price. He didn't pay with dollars. He paid with his life. He was able to pay the price to release us as prisoners of war from the bondage of sin. He, we sing the song. Oh, he, he paid it all for us. He did that. And, and Jesus is saying in the kingdom, you choose the low places, you, you choose last, you become a slave or a servant, no, no recognition, no credit, no rewards. Uh, but he says uh, there's a purpose to this. And the purpose of this is to serve other people. And he, we know from Scripture that when we serve other people, we are doing that in his name. It's as if he himself, that we were serving him and he himself were serving them. It becomes the picture of that. So the kingdom has a life that is uh, last place, servant, slave, no recognition, no credit, no reward. <clears throat> but it has a purpose. And the purpose is to connect them with the Lord. I love the word ransom here. He paid the price. I was a POW in the prison of sin, and he paid the price for me to be released. And there I serve him. <clears throat> I, uh, I want to say I'm reading a book, but I'm not. I am, um, I'm listening. Uh, I have uh, headphones in my office at home, and I'm, I'm listening to a book written by Bob Goff, G-O-F-F, Bob Goff, called Everybody Always, and uh, it's becoming love in a world full of setbacks and difficult people. <clears throat> and uh, he's got a, a quote that I use a lot out of Love Does, one of his other books, and it is uh, love difficult people, and remember, you're one of them. I have to remind that uh, of, of myself. I have to re remind myself of that saying. But um, in his book, uh, Everybody Always, he, he brings up the picture of uh, and the question, are you building a castle or are you building a kingdom? And before I get into his actual quote, I want to set up the difference. Castles, castles have moats around them. And they're to keep people out. He says, kingdoms have bridges to let people in. He said, castles have dungeons to put you when you mess up. And he said, kingdoms, they just have grace. I love that. And it comes to the question, are you building a castle or are you building a kingdom? And here's one of his actual quotes that I want to read to you. He says, we actually build castles all the time out of our jobs, out of our families, and things we've purchased. Sometimes we even make them out of each other. Uh, some of these castles are impressive too. Lots of people come to admire what we've built over the course of our lives and tell us what great castles we have. But Jesus told his friends we weren't supposed to be spending our lives building castles. He said he wanted us to build a kingdom. And there is a big difference between building a castle and building a kingdom. I believe in these the eyes of these disciples, they could have been thinking about a literal kingdom and their positioning. And if we're not careful, 
you and I will build castles that will bring glory to us. And we are called to build a kingdom that brings glory to him. Uh, I believe the, in his presence and right now in this phase of the series, um, if you're seeking out positions, then you're building a castle. If you're seeking his presence, you're building a kingdom. And my challenge for you today is let's quit building castles and let's start building kingdoms. I love the fact they have bridges and they let people in and they have grace instead of dungeons. I love that. God has called us and these men, he called them to help build a kingdom. So he had to teach them, disciple them, get the castle and the position out of your mind and get the kingdom into your service. Uh, let's be about building the kingdom of God. It's not position, it's presence. It's in his presence. In the word of Moses, Lord, I don't want to go from here to there without your presence. Grace and peace to you.